0: You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. This morning we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. And uh, if you're uh, visiting with us or a guest with us, we've been studying Romans for a good while now. Verse by verse we found ourselves in chapter 10 where Paul is answering uh, the question here. If the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek, uh, then why aren't the Jews believing it? Why isn't everybody believing it? And uh, so that's the question Paul has been answering now in chapter, Romans chapter 9 and now in chapter 10. And uh, this text today, Paul is explaining, reminding us again of how the gospel comes to us, uh, how it comes to anyone, and then why some are not believing it. So let's look at it together. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel... For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to sing of your glory today. We pray that you have heard not just our lips, but our hearts. Lord, we ask now, we acknowledge that the desperate need of our lives is to hear from you. Words of life that we need. And so, Lord, speak to us and give us ears to hear. And we pray that, uh, I pray, Lord, you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the, the beautiful outcomes of Paul's teaching here in, in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is, uh, at least one of them, is the outcomes, is that he, he reveals to us the remarkable continuity that is, between the Old and the New Testaments. Um, It's unfortunate, I think, that somewhere along the way that that the word old is used uh, because it implies uh, that it's outdated, that the Old Testament is outdated, that it's uh, in the past and therefore not very relevant to us uh, today. And that's easy to get into our minds, especially when we try to read it as well because the Old Testament is difficult to read. There are, there are contexts historically that we don't understand and hard names to pronounce and different languages that, that is, or, or, or rhetoric that's used, types of languages that are used that make it difficult. And it becomes very easy to think that the Old Testament is irrelevant to us or, or even that it contains a different message to us, a different message, a different gospel message than the one that the New Testament is speaking of here. And one of the common ways is to think that the Old Testament is about works and the New Testament is about grace, right? And so, but we, 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 we commonly go there. But Paul, what he is doing in these chapters really is kind of blowing up all of that thinking because nearly every point that he makes in Romans 10, he gets from the Old Testament. There's so much citing here of it. Where did Paul learn about this precious gospel that saves us by grace, that changes our hearts and our lives? Where did he learn this? He learned it from the Old Testament. And and so, he shows us here. Take, for example, our text from last week in which uh, we looked at Romans 10, verses 6 through 8, as a part of that, which is an explanation of Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you could find it, you might want to join me there just for a moment. It's all the way in the front of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And we didn't have time to look at it last week, but I want to just revisit it for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Keep a finger there in Romans chapter 10. Uh, because verses 6 through 8 was a quotation from, a site from this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Notice what he says, Deuteronomy 30, the second part of verse 9. He says, For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. So he's talking about obeying the law. When you turn, he says, to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And It's that particular phrase there at the end that's so important and so critical for us to hear. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You recognize that what God was calling the Israelites to all the way back towards the beginning there, after he'd given them his law, he was calling them not just to an external obedience, an obedience on the outside, he was calling them to an internal obedience. When you turn with all of your heart, he's saying, you're obeying from your heart, with your heart, with your soul. This was an obedience of the heart and the soul. Paul says, he is, says as if he's reminding his audience here that, that you guys misunderstood, you, you missed what Moses was saying to us. He was calling for a heart response. He was calling for faith in God, a turning to Him with all of your heart. And then Paul goes on, or Deuteronomy 30, excuse me, verses 11 and 14 go on. This is what Paul cites there in Romans 10. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, he says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? He says, no, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And Paul says in Romans 10, 8, he says the word there is the word of faith that we proclaim. This is the gospel message. This is not a new message. This is a message from Deuteronomy, he's telling us. It's right there, and it's been made very clear for us in Christ. What is this word of faith that he's calling for, this response? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for, he says, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Then Paul goes on and he quotes Isaiah 28, 16 there in verse 11. He says, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. He cites the prophet Joel in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You understand what he's doing. He's reminding us of this important truth, that the message of salvation in the Old Testament was to look forward in faith to the coming of Jesus Christ. That's how people were saved, looking to Jesus. In the New Testament, this message of salvation is to look backward to Jesus who has already come in faith. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same message he's saying to us. We're saved by grace through faith in jesus christ alone now one more thing look at romans chapter 1 because paul has already said this from the outset of his letter romans chapter 1 verse 1 he says paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle notice set apart for the gospel of god and notice how he describes the gospel of god Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the Old Testament. This gospel promised in the Old Testament. Verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David in the Old Testament according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel that saved Paul. This is the gospel to which God had set him apart to preach. This is the gospel for which Paul is willing to take beatings for and stonings for to get this good news of the gospel. Paul believed that this gospel message needed to be heard by everyone, Jews and Gentiles, because it is only, it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And so, now in the remainder of this chapter, our chapter 10, Paul is explaining to us how this gospel comes to us. Verse 13, he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It leads then to a question, well, how will they call on Him, and, 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 or how, why aren't other people calling on Him? How does this gospel come? Why are some calling on Him and some not calling on God for salvation? That's his two points that he's explaining here. That's our two points today. First, look at how the gospel comes to anyone. Paul explains it, and again, we should not be surprised to see more verses from the Old Testament to support his argument. Every point he makes here is from the Old Testament. Verse 14 and 15, how then will they call on him, call on Jesus in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now notice several necessities there because it's a link. It's like a chain of, of, of events, if you will, or, or ways in which the, spelling out how the gospel comes to us. First, we notice the necessity of calling on Christ. How will they call on Him? Verse 14. I mean, the first necessary thing, if a person is to be saved, he or she must call on Christ, right? Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an important verse because it reminds us, as we've seen, that saving faith involves more than just head knowledge. Look ahead in verse 14, there's a difference between calling on Christ and believing on Christ. It's not enough just to know about Jesus in your head. You, you have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Boyce explained it like this, it's not enough for you to sit under the preaching of the Word of God to be a Christian, important as that is. It's not enough for you to know theology or even to be a student of the Bible. I commend all of those things to you. But they alone do not make you a Christian. To be a Christian, you must call on the Lord Jesus Christ personally. He's right. You say, Lord, I confess that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I call on you to save me. Help me. Have mercy on me. Save me. Right? In other words, you have to trust Becoming a Christian is trusting in Christ. It's committing yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not just knowing about Him. It's trusting in Him. That's the first necessity. But before that, Paul says, there's something else that has to happen, the necessity of believing in Christ. Verse 14, how will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? Salvation does involve head knowledge, doesn't it? It does involve a message to believe. How can you ask Jesus to save you if you have no idea what you're being saved from, no idea what you're being saved for, no idea what you're being saved to? There's clearly a message that has to be believed, right? It's not just just an emotional thing. You, you, You have to have a content. There's a content of knowledge that must be believed in order to be saved. The gospel is a man, Jesus Christ, but it's also a message. A message. There are facts to be believed. The truth that that God is a a holy creator, a king, a judge. The truth about who you are and I I am, that we are sinners in Adam, as Paul has said, as, as people fallen, sinful, separated from God, facing His judgment because of our sins. We have to believe the truth about who Jesus is, that He's not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just some religious teacher. He was virgin conceived. He was God in the flesh. He was fully human, fully divine. He, had a, he lived a perfect, righteous life in our place, dying in our place for our sins, rose again on the third day that we might be saved. There's a message to be believed there. And then you have to personally call on Him in faith, trusting in Him. But there's something else Paul says before that, before calling, before believing, he talks about the necessity of hearing Christ, verse fourteen. How are they to believe in him, of whom they have never heard? How can you believe these things if you've, if you've never, if nobody's ever told you about them, you've never heard of them? There's a couple of ways to interpret this verse. Um, the first is simply how it reads. How are they to believe in him of? Whom, that's the word, of whom they have never heard. The second way that you can translate this is how are they to believe in him whom they have heard? I don't think the first way is wrong, that's certainly the truth. Uh, it's true that we must hear about Jesus, right? We must hear of Jesus. We must hear the message of Jesus and all these things about His life. But I think the NASB is more correct here by leaving the of out. How are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? The distinction is important because the point that is being made, I think, is that salvation comes not simply from hearing about Jesus, that is important, but hearing the voice of Jesus Himself. And there's a difference, isn't there, church? Jesus Himself taught this in John 10. He was speaking to unbelieving Jews and He told them, John 10 verse 3, the sheep hear His voice and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. A little bit later in the chapter, he speaks of Gentiles coming to salvation. John 10, 16, he says, all, And all I have other sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Here's the distinction. When you became a Christian, no doubt you were hearing the voice of someone. You were hearing the voice of a preacher, perhaps. You were hearing the voice of a Sunday school teacher. You were hearing the voice of of a, a godly parent or a grandparent or a friend who was sharing the gospel message with you. But in that moment, you see, you also heard another voice, didn't you? Another voice, the voice of Jesus calling you. You were hearing Christ calling you. And beloved, that makes all of the difference, right? All the difference. There's something else, though, that happen, must happen, he says, before, uh, before even hearing. There has to be preaching, he says. Preaching. It's in the in end the, in of verse 14. How are they to hear without someone preaching to them? The word there is, is, a, is the picture of a herald, someone who comes to make an announcement, Someone who comes to make a proclamation, and and he's saying that in order for you to hear the gospel message or hear the call of Christ, there must be something said. There must be a message proclaimed. It comes through hearing, he says. And and what's incredible to me about this, if if I'm understanding this right, is that in in the preaching of God's Word, there are two voices that are being heard today two voices there is the voice of the preacher but there's also the voice of Christ you see the voice of Christ that's not to say that the preacher's words are infallible of course they're 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 not uh, of course they're not infallible but that as the preacher faithfully preaches the word that god speaks through the text to his people John Murray said it like this, in true Christian preaching, Christ Himself speaks. We hear Jesus' own words in the gospel message. J.I. Packer wrote it like this, a true sermon, he says, is an act of God and not a mere performance by man. In real preaching, the speaker is the servant of the Word of God, and God speaks and works by the Word through His servant's lips. The sermon is God's ordained means of speaking and working. The divine commission to ministers is a commission to preach and teach, and the accompanying promise is that if they preach the Word faithfully, they will not preach in vain. Because Christ is speaking in that which leads fifth to a fifth necessity and that is the sending the sending of Christ messengers or preachers paul says in verse 15 how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news again we're not we shouldn't be surprised here that phrase how beautiful are the feet that's a reference to the old testament prophet isaiah 52 verse 7 And there's a beautiful context there in Isaiah. The news at that time is being released that the Babylonian captivity, the exile, was over with. And you can imagine heralds going through the streets and proclaiming this good news, the beautiful feet, announcing that Israel are free. They're free from this captivity. And Isaiah uses that message to speak of a future salvation, a spiritual one, because in the very next verses, Isaiah 52, 9 and 10, he says, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That's what he's talking about. He's, talk, he's looking forward there, the prophet, and speaking of the salvation that Christ was going to bring in the future. Who sends out these messengers, these preachers? God does. God sends them. And He does it through His church. Through His church. For example, the church at Antioch and Acts there, by the Spirit of God, sent Paul and Barnabas as missionaries out on their missionary journeys. God calls and equips, and the church sends them out, supports them as they take the message of the gospel out. So you can see how this text and all of these necessities, how this is laid out, you can see how this is an important, such an important text for missions in the church, missionaries, the biblical basis that we, we see from doing this. But it's also the importance of preaching in the life of the church, isn't it? Preaching. It's not to discount any kind of personal witnessing because, of course, we're all to be personal witnesses of the gospel. But clearly, preaching is central in the spread of the gospel and the life of the church. It's central. I look about the landscape today, and and I wonder if the church in America, if we have forgotten this simple truth, this simple truth that Paul has saying here, have we forgotten the conviction that God uses preaching for the salvation of sinners? He never promises to use creativity to save anyone. He never promises cleverness. He never promises to use drama sketches in His Word. He never promises to use video presentations or entertainment. God always promises to use His preached Word and the life of His people. And you see it all throughout the Scriptures. This is why, church, that we want to be a people of the Word. That We want this to be a distinctive. When people come in here, they, they, they know, they understand. This is, this is a distinctive of who we are. We want to be a church that is centered around the Word of God in all that we do. Because, church, our hope is not in another program. Our hope is not in another activity. Our hope is is not in any of those things. Our hope is in the Word of God. It is the Word of God that gives life to dying dead souls, right? It is the Word of God that revives and sanctifies and convicts and comforts. It is the Word of God that transforms a church. It is the Word of God that preserves the community around that church. Do we believe that? Do we believe that, church? And if so, do we expect God to do something through the preaching and teaching of His Word? Do we have that expectation? As we're, Are we looking to the Lord when we come to church? Are we looking to the Lord to use His Word today in my life, in your life, in the lives of those sitting around us, prayerfully even, in the lives of lost people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we looking to His Word to be used in that way? Why do you spend so much time preparing to preach, pastor? Why put so much emphasis on this in our church? It's because of this. How will someone call on the Lord to be saved if they haven't believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear if no one preaching, no one preaches? And how will they preach if they are not sent? It's right here. If God doesn't send preachers who preach the truth so that men can hear it and believe it and call on the name of the Lord, they cannot be saved. That's how important it is. That brings us to the second part. Are you all okay? Amen? Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's. That's that's good, maybe, I guess. The the second part here is that if, if that... If that's how the gospel comes, if this is God's pattern for how He works in the life of His church and people and how the gospel goes forth to people, why aren't more people, in Paul's case here in Romans, why aren't more of the Jews calling on the Lord for salvation? Why, in other words, why why is the gospel rejected by so many today? Paul brings that up in verse 16. He's speaking there of the Jews. He says, but they have, I think the lay, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For, another Old Testament passage, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, the they there, I think surely is referring to the Jews. He says, they are not obeying the gospel. They're not submitting to the gospel message. And Paul, once again, looks to the Old Testament, this time To Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And this is the passage here in Isaiah 53, you may remember, that is speaking about with unbelievable clarity, a prophecy about the coming of Christ, his death, how Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter. You remember that? And the Lord laying on him the iniquity of us all. It's an incredible passage. But before Isaiah explains that message in Isaiah 53, he writes these words, who has believed what he's heard from us? It's almost like Isaiah is saying, who's ever going to believe this message I'm about to tell you? Of all the places we could look to for salvation, there's this, there's this incredible message I'm about to tell you. And who could ever believe it? It's like Isaiah's looking around for anyone to believe this gospel message. And yet, church, I tell you, this is the very means that God uses to save and grow His people. And verse 17, he condenses that message of verses 14 and 15. He says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Salvation does not come by meditation or by uh, speculation uh, or or philosophizing or or whatever. It, it, It comes, he says, by hearing the word of Christ. The word about Christ and the word of Christ himself. So why aren't the Jews believing it? Paul asks two questions there, doesn't he? The first question, verse 18, is he says, is it because they haven't heard but I ask, he says, have they not heard? <laughs> Indeed they have, he says. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. It's somewhat unexpected that Paul cites there. That's a ver- In the quotations, he's citing Psalm 19.4, another Old Testament passage. Psalm 19.4, and it's a beautiful psalm there, but... It's at That part, that verse is, is talking about creation, and it's talking about how God's creation shows forth that, that God is a creator, he shows it from all of the earth. But interesting, Paul uses it here to talk about the gospel going forth, the Word. I don't think that Paul means thinks that everyone has heard it, but, but I think what he is saying is that by this time, the gospel message was widespread. And to the Jews whom he was writing to, and the, the Gentiles and the Jews there that, he, that he's writing to in Rome, that they certainly would have heard this. I mean, Paul is saying that, that this is not a hearing issue. You have heard all about this gospel of Jesus. Well, he says, the second question in verse 19, maybe the Jews are are rejecting the gospel because they don't understand it. He says, but I asked, verse 19, did Israel not understand? If it wasn't a hearing problem, maybe the problem is they don't understand what's being said. And Paul says, that's not it either. And he gives several answers. He cites Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. First, he says, Moses says, here's the quote, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In other words, Paul is saying, Moses prophesied that this rejection was going to happen. told you a long time ago, there'd come a day when God would uh, embrace the Gentiles and bless them with salvation, and he would do this in order to provoke the Jews to jealousy to make them jealous. And and in fact, that the Jews were jealous was an indication that they, they full well understood the gospel message. This was not an understanding problem. They understood it. It was a willingness problem. It was a heart problem that they had. Jesus warned them many times in the gospel about this. You think back into the parables of Matthew 21, 22, somewhere in there where Jesus kept saying to the Jews, he's inviting them with the gospel, you don't want to, he says, you don't want to come into the banquet, you don't want to, that parable, you don't want to come into my salvation, into the banquet. And it's if Jesus says, that's fine, I'll go find someone else. Or you think about Luke chapter 14, uh, similar, the the wedding feast, again, the metaphor of salvation where Jesus is saying, you don't want to come into the the wedding feast, you don't want to come into the love of of my salvation, I'll go out to the highways and hedges and I'll call the poor and the crippled and the lame and, and the blind and I'll compel them to come in that my house will be filled. And it was provoking jealousy in the Jews. Then in verses 20 and 21, Paul quotes another text from Isaiah, and this time it's from Isaiah 65. Then, he writes, Isaiah is so bold as to say this, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. In other words, he's talking about the Gentiles. I went and I found others. I poured my grace out on them. But, Verse 21, of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's the answer, isn't it? Why were the Jews rejecting the gospel? It's pretty clear. It was their disobedient and contrary hearts. All day long, God says, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Disobedient means to refuse to believe. They were refusing to believe. The word contrary means they're opposing. They're, literally, they're denying, they're speaking against, they're standing against. They were invited to the banquet. They were invited to come into salvation. The gospel came to them, but they refused. They refused it. You see what Paul is saying, he's saying that the gospel, how the gospel comes to us from God, that's not the problem. The problem is not what he, he explained that, that, that whole process to us about calling and believing and hearing. and pre- That's not the problem. The, the problem is with their hearts. They're refusing to believe, refusing to call on the Lord to save them. All day long is, I think, figurative language there, but it's reminding us of the patience and kindness of God, isn't it? All day long he holds out this gospel message. And in Israel's case, we could say for century after century after century he held out that gospel message. You think about Moses who lived around 1400 B.C., Abraham, who lived about 2,000 B.C., for centuries, God calling out, extending His arms. Israel cannot say, oh, we didn't hear it. Israel could not say, oh, we didn't understand it. No, God has been calling. He's been extending His arms. He's been inviting them to come into His salvation. To be clear here, some of the Jews were believing, right? There's Paul and others, and there's a bit of hope, I think, in verse 19 at some point maybe that, that the Gentiles coming to faith is going to provoke, it's going to do something with the Israelites. I think there's a, a bitter glimmer of hope there, and I think in chapter 11, Paul's going to speak to a little bit more hope for us, but so many weren't. You think about the the preachers God had sent to Israel over the years. Paul has quoted many of them, right? We've we've heard from Moses. We've heard from Isaiah. We've heard from the prophet Joel. We've heard a reference to David. uh, But then there are many more that Paul doesn't mention. Jonah, Amos, Jeremiah, so many others. All of these beautiful feet who have come to Israel over the years. Pleading with them, with the gospel that, that saves. But they've rejected it. Over and over again. There's a heavy responsibility here, isn't it? And if you you stop and you you push, you fast forward to your life and my life right now, and we apply what's being said here. I, I think it's likely it's likely that most of you have sat under quite a few preachers throughout your life. You uh, you may have been sitting. Uh, if, only, if this is your only place, maybe you've been sitting through these messages in Romans for the past year and a half. Do you understand the weight of responsibility that God's Word is putting on you and me? I mean, we could have read chapter 9, and I know there's some difficulty places there to think about. We could have read chapter 9 and think, you know, if you're lost here today, and you think, well, I just, maybe it's not, I must not be a part of the elect. It must be God's fault that I am lost. It must be God's fault that I continue to sit here and hear these messages and not respond. I'd encourage you not to say that. Uh, For one, it's not true. Can you imagine using that excuse before God when you die and stand before him? And God says to you, did you not hear? Do you have a hearing problem? Did you not understand? Did you not drive by church after church? Nearly on every corner in this country? You mean you didn't have Opportunity? And perhaps he will say to some of you, were you not there in the church service on February 12, 2023, when I sent you, Jason, to preach that message to you? Were you not there? You you had every opportunity. You, You heard the gospel. You understood it. And yet you chose to Disobey. God will give the justice that we deserve in those moments. Others of you hearing this message and you've heard the gospel and you're rejecting it, though you're rejecting it in a different way because you're still clinging on to your good works and a mixture that that's somehow going to save you. It's a rejection of the gospel. And don't think for a moment that your fate going to be any different than those who've just rejected it outright. There's only one way to be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls, trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ for salvation. So our first obligation today is to uh, in obeying the gospel as he calls it here is to call on him if we haven't, right? Call on him. You're looking for application. Here it is. If you haven't called on him, you need to call on him today, right now. Amen, church. Those of you who are believers, you need to call on him today. And if you have, then we need to obey his gospel with our life. Maybe for some of you that means I need to follow him in believer's baptism because he commands me to do so. Maybe that means submitting myself to His, his Word in my daily life and my, my, the way that I live my life and, and how I'm following Him. It's certainly, if we're believers, we're with Paul here, we're praying and preaching that others would call on Him. and all of these ways, have you responded? Are you responding? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for for this Word, Your Word to us today. And We pray, Lord, now that You would use it. We pray that we would not be like the man James speaks about who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. But Lord, as we have heard Your Word, that we have heard it, and we've heard it well. And we've heard it clearly, and we have heard it rightly. And Lord, that we would pray and plead for You to help us to obey it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.